Welcome. The following presentation from Answers in CME is part of an educational activity titled Window of Opportunity in Relapsed Refractory Multiple Myeloma. Is there an earlier role for Cerebron E3 ligase modulators to improve patient outcomes? To access the full program and supporting materials, please visit the activity URL in the episode description. This activity is supported through an educational grant from Bristol Myers Squibb. Hello, my name is Dr. Joseph McHale. I'm a professor at the Translational Genomics Research Institute and the Chief Medical Officer of the International Myeloma Foundation. With me today is a good friend and myeloma expert, Paul Richardson. Myeloma is a disease that, unfortunately, we still really haven't cured. And so patients typically relapse after each period of remission. The period of remission tends to get shorter as the disease becomes more aggressive. We know what we do earlier on, even in frontline therapy and earlier relapses, has a prolific impact on the long-term impact of patients. And this is translated into our philosophy of thinking and treating now, which is that we don't really save the best for last. If we turn to the NCCN guidelines, it's almost like a laundry list of choices. So instead of developing a simple algorithm, we follow principles along the way to give patients the deepest and most durable response. We think of relapse myeloma typically as early relapse, one to three prior lines, all the way through knowing that the depth of response matters, that risk status makes a difference where high-risk patients need to be treated in a particular way, always wanting to balance efficacy and toxicity as we treat patients and doing all that we can do to overcome drug resistance by introducing mechanisms of action that are new. Making a decision as to how to use them and how to combine them typically is based on three major areas of focus, disease-related factors, therapy-related factors, and patient-related factors. Knowing that the risk status makes a difference, always wanting to balance efficacy and toxicity as we treat patients. I wonder, Paul, is that how you approach it also in your clinic? Yes, I would agree, Joe. I like this slide in particular because it addresses this issue of real-world, off-the-shelf, practical therapeutic options for patients with relapse disease. Thanks, Paul. Pragmatically, what this typically means in early relapse is that we're using triplets and sometimes even quadruplets, but primarily triplets for our patients in early relapse. We're using a CD38 antibody, one of our two key proteasome inhibitors and our two key immunomodulatory drugs of lenalidomide and pomalidomide. And then when patients become refractory to all of those, we move into the more novel approaches with BCMA-driven strategies like CAR T-cell therapy, or we may use bispecific antibodies and introducing mechanisms of action that are new to overcome drug resistance. And that's particularly important as we think about introducing cell mods to overcome other mechanisms such as immunomodulatory drugs. In our next session, we're going to have Paul talk to us about cell mods in more detail. So now Paul will help us understand why cell mods can help overcome resistance with IMIDS. Sure, Joe. My name's Dr. Paul Richardson, and I serve as the Director of Clinical Research and Clinical Program Leader of the Jerome Lipper Multiple Myeloma Center here at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston, Massachusetts. And I also serve as the R.J. Corman Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School. Let's first begin with understanding a little more about the IMIDS. 
Unfortunately, the majority of myeloma patients treated with immunomodulators develop resistance over time. So whilst the mechanisms are somewhat incompletely understood, we are generating data to better understand how this works. And we've discovered that the use of these much more potent platforms, namely the cell mods, has been highly successful in that much more effectiveness across the Cerebron E3 ligase complex. Now, in that specific point, we have two major candidates. First, ibertamide and then mesigdamide. These drugs profoundly engage with the Cerebron E3 ligase complex and in a targeted fashion, rapidly degrade Icarus and ALOS with impact on the pathobiology of myeloma, not only directly on the myeloma cell, but also to immune effectors that can in turn result in substantial cytotoxicity against the myeloma itself. Now, in terms of the in vivo and in vitro evidence of this, this is quite substantial. First and foremost, we show here that iberdamide enhances the in vitro stimulatory effect of this pathway, and in particular is able to do so in a far more profound way than lenalidomide and pomalidomide. And in that regard, mesigdamide is even more powerful with efficient substrate degradation leading to apoptosis and potent antiproliferative activity in pomalidomide and lenalidomide-resistant myeloma models. So what I'm hearing, Paul, is that ibertamide and mesigdamide, although biochemically related to immunomodulatory drugs, really are a true separate class. I think there is a concept that imids and cell mods are essentially just a part of a spectrum of the same drug class. I think that's a simplification, and I actually think it's not correct. I think that the cell mods are distinct. They're much bigger molecules. Their engagement in the Cerebron 3E3 ligase complex is profound and different, and their degradation characteristics are similarly profoundly different. It's better to think of them, in my opinion, as degraders. They essentially rapidly degrade these target substrates and have a number of very important effects downstream of that process that result in not only enhanced myeloma cell death, but effects on the tumor microenvironment and the mean milieu that are important in terms of the rest of myeloma growth on the one hand, and at the same time, myeloma cell killing. That's a really interesting way to look at it, Paul. So in that context, it would be worth suggesting that cell mods clearly have a higher barrier to intrinsic and extrinsic methods of resistance or pathways of resistance in myeloma, and so therefore may be well worth considering earlier in the treatment paradigm for our patients. Let's now review the efficacy of cell mods in the context of prior immunomodulatory exposure, and in particular exposure to other standard agents in myeloma. We have a huge constellation of trials in which we've been able to show that the combination of immunomodulatory drugs combined with either proteasome inhibitors or antibodies has been highly powerful in their effect on relapsed refractory disease. We've seen this interaction not only with CD38 as a target for the monoclonal antibodies, but also elatuzumab. Going beyond that, we've seen obviously the efficacy of non-imid-containing regimens such as carfilzomib and dexamethasone in that same context panobinostat combined with bortezomib and dexamethasone. And you can see there's a very consistent signal of activity from the immunomodulatory platforms. In terms of the efficacy of ibertamide regimens, we've seen a very consistent signal of around 30% response rates in patients who are both triple-class refractory and, very interestingly, in patients who are also quadruple-class refractory. And by that, I mean they also will have received prior BCMA exposure in addition to proteasome inhibitors, immunomodulators, and CD38-targeting therapy. 
one step up from this is the efficacy of mesigdomide with patients who are not only triple class refractory, but also BCMA exposed, we see a response rate of 50%. We see a baseline response rate in the triple class refractory group overall of 41%. And very interestingly, we see activity in the extramedullary disease population of 30%. Whilst we have to be careful about cross-trial comparisons, what's striking to me is that consistently we're seeing that much greater response rate in similarly heavily pretreated, highly resistant patients. When you combine mesigdomide with bortezomib and dexamethasone at a milligram dose two weeks on and one week off, what we see is a response rate of 82%. Overall, we saw a 68% response rate for the bortezomib combination approach. And very interestingly, for mesigdomide combined with carfilzomib, we saw a 62% response rate, pointing to the value of this agent in combination with other drugs and also its efficacy when used earlier in the disease course. So based on the data you presented, Paul, obviously cell mods have been introduced in that more heavily relapse and refractory setting, but we're starting to see them being used earlier in the treatment course in early relapse, and actually even into newly diagnosed multiple myeloma. Is that correct? That's correct, Joe. I think it's fair to say these are now being investigated in earlier lines for ivodamide in newly diagnosed disease and as maintenance, and in the context of the mesigdomide studies in earlier relapse, as well as in advanced relapse refractory disease. So there's a very strong rationale for considering cell mods as treatment options, both in early relapse and newly diagnosed myeloma. So listening, Paul, to your description of ibertamide and mesigdamide, how would you compare cell mods in general to IMIDs when it comes to their toxicity profile? Thanks so much, Joe. Let's review the safety profile of cell mods and contrast them perhaps with what we see from immunomodulatory agents. As we think about the classical spectrum of toxicities encountered with immunomodulatory-based regimens, I think the important point is that cytopenias are well-established, generally manageable, but may have some long-term consequences. Also, there's a steady and consistent infection signal, again, generally manageable, but important to note. Fatigue can be dose-limiting. Obviously, thromboembolism without the right prophylactic strategies can be a challenge. Peripheral neuropathy is relatively unusual, as are cardiac disorders, but certainly gastrointestinal disturbance can be seen particularly with lenalidomide. In terms of ibertamide, what we're very struck by is that its toxicities appear limited to cytopenias. Remarkably, the non-hemoxlogic side effects appear much less and are very manageable when they do occur. With cytopenias dominating, the non-hemoxlogic side effects do appear to be substantially less than we would otherwise expect, which I think is very encouraging. In terms of mesigdomide, it's important to note that there's a more potent molecule. We do see neutropenia and we do see cytopenia. But GI toxicities and infections are relatively uncommon and generally manageable, as is fatigue. I would contrast the two toxicities by saying that given the relative potency of mesigdomide and ibertamide, it is actually very encouraging that the safety profiles appear so positive or so favorable, particularly as one considers that the predominant side effects are cytopenias. There is some fatigue with mesigdomide, but beyond that, and certainly in terms of gastrointestinal disturbance, these do not appear to be a major issue with either mesigdomide or ibertamide. 
So now let me hand this to Joe to tie this all together and provide a whole picture or look at the evidence overall of where we see cell mods in the future of myeloma therapy. Thanks, Paul. In this final session, I want to bring together everything we've discussed, cell mods. How are they now going to fit into the bigger picture of how we treat relapsed refractory multiple myeloma? A few things I think it's important to reiterate that Dr. Richardson shared with us. We do expect a little bit more uh, cytopenias, in particular neutropenia with mesigdamide, but we have demonstrated that these drugs, even as single agents in very heavily refractory patients, can overcome immunomodulatory drug resistance. Paul, did you want to add anything here to help us differentiate ibertamide from mesigdamide? Yes, Joe. I think ibertamide, it's fair to say, clearly overdries imid resistance. The degree to which it does so is less than we see with mesigdamide, and mesigdamide's potency takes it to a new level. Most patients now are being treated with immunomodulatory drugs, often through several lines of therapy. Another important point is that they can be used even in patients that have had BCMA-driven strategies and that they can be combined with other novel agents and other more traditional myeloma agents. So what does that mean for the future use of these agents? As I think about how I'm going to be incorporating cell mods, one of the things that draws me to them is not only that ability to overcome imid resistance, uh, but really the simple administration of an oral agent that's particularly well tolerated in contrast to many of our immunotherapies that do require more intensive approaches and T-cell collection and admission to hospital for cytokine release syndrome or for neurotoxicities. What I think we still have to learn and will learn with time is the optimal sequencing of these strategies. As we heard today, we are introducing these agents earlier in the disease course, and so we'll understand how it can be combined and how it can be used even earlier. So, Paul, what's your vision for ibertamide and mesigdamide? Ibertamide going early in newly diagnosed patients and then finding its way into maintenance would be very attractive. I think in the context of maintenance, what's particularly important is there is evidence that ibertamide may not have the same risk of second cancer that may, for example, be associated with lenalidomide. As we think about relapsed refractory disease, mesigdamide may be a very important strategy after pomalidomide and combination approaches with pomalidomide and other drugs such as carfilzomib and bortezomib. Mesigdamide, after those kinds of treatments have failed, may have an important role, particularly if used in combination with other drugs as well. That was a great summary, Paul. I mean, I think the key take-home messages here are that cell mods are really a unique class and not just a further generation of an imid. We can overcome imid resistance with cell mods. Cell mods are easily administered with a predictable toxicity profile and are going to be used in combinations and earlier in the disease course. Thank you for listening. Please visit the activity URL in the episode description to view all program materials, complete the post-test, and get a certificate.